you've got to find something that's enriching or you're just stuck to the couch or the bed or wherever you're at. We find a way and art is a great way to enrich your mind without broadening yourself too ragged. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about visual impairment, art, getting on disability, technology life hacks, and much more. Our host, Monica, is joined by Sunny Ammerman, an artist who lives with multiple rare disorders, which she'll cover in the episode. I'm really glad you came on. I want to talk to you about this art and visual impairment and... The work you're doing with Nord and with RAN, let's start there. Yeah, so is the, uh, the National Organization for Rare Disorders. It's an organization that was created by patient advocates for people that have rare conditions. It actually got its start back in 1983, where they helped pass the Orphan Drug Act. You can read all about that on the Nord website, which is rarediseases.org. Fairly recently, as far as, you know, relative time is concerned, they just created the RIP Action Network, which is... an Paranet sort of organization that connects rare disease advocates in all 50 states, or at least they're trying to get people in all 50 states. I think there are a few states where we don't have leaders yet, but usually what they want to try to do is in every state, they want to have a one to two leaders. One person is the state ambassador, which is they're in charge of RAND for that state. And then there's the community engagement liaison, which is the position that I volunteer as, where basically I'm in charge of helping to engage the community. So I do a lot of social outreach and uh, basically the same sort of patient advocacy that I've been doing for the last five years or so, but more beneficial capacity now. I'm curious about what this involves because it sounds like you guys really do need people to come in and do this. So what is the kind of time commitment? What are you guys looking for for someone to actually do this? What are your days like doing this? Yeah, actually, that was something that I was really nervous about at first because I kind of fell into this position. They have virtual discussion groups to connect patients of rare diseases in the States with their state ambassadors. And I joined one of those virtual discussion groups. And as we were talking, I guess they just really liked my gusto. So they asked if I'd take the position for community engagement liaison because they were looking for somebody. And at first I'd like, hold on a minute. I've tried to work before. It didn't work out great. So I talked with the person that was in charge of hiring for this position, Kristen Angel. She's amazing. Shout out to Kristen. She does a lot of great work. But I expressed to her my concern that I may not be able to keep up with this commitment. And she said, we totally understand. We work with rare disease patients. We're not going to judge you if you become sick. She said that they were only asking four to six hours per month. Of course, I was really nervous, but when she said four to six hours, that's really not that bad. Like, I can do that within a month. It hasn't been bad at all, really. I'm kind of a go-getter. I'm more of the kind of person where I overdo things a lot. So I've been kind of having to reel myself back and saying, look, you're seeing all these really great volunteer opportunities, but slow down before you hurt yourself. So but for the most part, they have not been demanding more time from me than, than what they projected would be the time frame. So what I want to know more about you, like what you have, because I could not figure it out. I went on to a whole bunch of websites that were way too smart for me. Yeah, and that one's the big issue that I had first starting out, trying to learn more about my condition itself. And that's what got me into patient advocacy was there's just really not much out there for layman's to understand what's going on. I had to learn from medical journals getting started, which was really difficult. But essentially, I've got a rare condition called septo-optic dysplasia, which you have to have at least two of three indicators to get the diagnosis. I have all three. 
I've got optic nerve hypoplasia, which I'll explain in a second. Panhypopituitarism, which I'll also get into. And I'm missing something called the septum pellicidum, which is a membrane that kind of goes in the middle of your, it's just gone. There's not a whole lot of information on that. So we don't know how much that's affecting me. There are some medical journals out there that kind of, that claim that it might impact your ability to sense danger. So I could be a little bit more gullible. People, according to that one medical journal that I found. But for the most part, it's not the biggest deal that I've got going on. First, the optic nerve hypoplasia. Essentially, my optic nerve didn't develop right. I've got faulty wiring, if you want to say that. And as it malformed when I was developing, it pressed up against my pituitary gland. So that's what caused the panhypopituitarism. Panhypopituitarism, we're going to break it down into three parts to kind of help explain it. Pan means all. Hypo means deficient and pituitarism means having to do with the pituitary gland. So I'm deficient in most of my pituitary hormones because the optic nerve pressed up against my pituitary gland and wouldn't let it develop right. Doctors have said that it might as well not even be there. My levels are so low. So my body doesn't make any of the hormones necessary for survival or not sufficient enough amounts of those hormones. So I'm going to take a whole bunch of pills throughout the day. I've got Three reminders that pop up throughout the day saying, hey, take your meds. And then I have to do an injection before bed of uh, growth hormone as well. The optic nerve hypoplasia itself has basically made my eyesight worse than that of a 60-year-old. What I said I do have, actually, because I'm actually blind in both peripherals as well. So with my eye issues, I can't drive, which is really limiting. and That's a pain. But for the most part, I can see well enough to do things like artwork and see your lovely face here on Zoom. The biggest issue with my condition is definitely the panhypopituitarism, because even somebody with just one hormone deficiency like hypothyroidism would tell you that the symptoms that you experience, while they're really vague and kind of hard to pin down, can be really debilitating. And with the panhypopituitarism, not only do I have hypothyroidism, but I've got secondary adrenal insufficiency, which in and of itself is a pretty serious condition and can be life-threatening. I actually have to carry an injection kit, an emergency injection kit with me at all times in case something were to happen where if I was in a situation where a normal person's body would go into shock, my body doesn't make the hormone cortisol, so it doesn't have that reaction. So it doesn't know how to manage the levels of electrolytes in your blood and your blood pressure. So my blood pressure would drop suddenly and I could go into a coma and die if I don't have this shot injected into me right away. That's actually one of the big advocacy things I'm working on right now is even though I have that shot with me at all times, if I were in a situation where I wasn't with somebody who knows how to give me the shot, if an EMT were to come to address my situation, they would not be allowed to give me that medication. And that's not something they carry with them in the ambulance either. And it can be a matter of 30 minutes whether or not I live or die in that situation. So we're trying, I'm working with Danny's Dose is the name of the organization. They work with EMS protocols in many different states trying to get emergency medications like this approved for EMT you know, workers to give to the patients that need it. There's just so much to go through with this condition. It's like all of the worst of it just right there. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, luckily I don't deal with something like chronic pain every day, so that's nice. I don't have to deal with something that physically painful. I just get really, really physically tired. When we talk about fatigue, I'm just not, I'm not just sleepy. I feel like I ran three miles, even though I just slept for eight hours. We need um, a better word. There needs to be a word that the temporarily abled cannot 
used as like, oh, I'm fatigued. It's like, no, no, no. If you have never had to take a nap after a shower, you are not fatigued. That's not that's not your yeah. word. We need a better word. If I had a dollar for every time that my telling somebody, oh, man, I'm dealing with so much fatigue today that they responded with, I'm tired, too. I have enough money to pay for health care. Yes, we'll get to living in the United States with health care. I promise. It's a subject we're both very passionate about. So how is this working for you? As I know that a lot of us who are Spoonies, chronically ill, disabled, a lot of us do have artistic tendencies and we all have our little quirks and ways that we still are able to either like I had to quit photography and move to something. I do illustration. I work on a program where it does like half screen. So whatever I do on half the screen appears on the other half. So I only have to half the canvas. What are some of your tricks for being able to still be an artist with your conditions? Yeah, I, I totally feel you having to give up on one of your passions to something that you can handle better with your health. I actually did leather working for a little while. Oh, um, I, I loved it, but yeah. I, I, it's so physically demanding. I hadn't anticipated that. After a little while, I had made a few leather journals. People loved them. They sold like hotcakes. And then, you know, with all that hammering that you've got to do with the leather working tools, just I got physically sick. I had to stop. So that was sad to have to put those tools away. But you're totally right about having to find something that you can do within your limitations. So right now I'm working on making a bunch of masks. They're obviously selling pretty well right now. So I'm working on making some Halloween ones. And the great thing about this creative outlet is there are a bunch of different steps in the process. And some take more energy than others. So on a super low energy day, I might be able to sit there and just like cut the ties. On a day where I might have a little bit more energy, I can actually cut out the pattern itself. Of course, I'll have to wait for a day where I have a few more spoons laying around where I can actually put the mask together and finish them. That's kind of how I manage what I'm able to do with my creative ability. You know, it's I've got limited energy some days, which happens a lot. And, and I can get into that a little bit more here in a minute. But I think that a lot of us do definitely have that creative tendency, which is great because there are some things that you can do when you're you know, not feeling well. I can't remember what I was watching. I think it was a, a Netflix documentary recently about fringe science cures. I love learning about that kind of thing. There was a girl in there that had a chronic illness and she was doing cross-stitching. And I was thinking, yep, yeah, she understands, you know, when you're limited in what you can do, you've got to find something that's enriching or you're just stuck to the couch or the bed or wherever you're at. We find a way. And art is a great way to enrich your mind without running yourself too ragged. That's a beautiful statement. It's one of the things that frustrates me the most when you hear people who are, I call temporarily abled. If you're really lucky, you're going to get old enough that this will affect you. So either you're lucky or you're unlucky. But one way or another, this temporarily state of able body will come to an end. <laughs> They don't get what being disabled is about. And then there's like that whole not my tax dollars people. And there's this idea of like, oh, people take advantage of us. They're lazy. And I'm like, you have no idea what I would do to work again. As long as it was within the moral bounds of not hurting someone else, I would literally do almost anything to work again, which is why these wellness industries do so well. And for a lot of us to work because that's what meaning is to us, what purpose is to us. We haven't found other things yet. A lot of times we're clawing our way back, but we want purpose and whatever that is, whether that's art or work. And I think that we discount how much people need purpose. Yes. And I think that's another reason the whole process of trying to win a disability case or obtain disability, especially in the, Uni in the United States, it's such a dehumanizing process. Because there are people that take almost a decade to win their disability case. 
there are some people that go their entire lives without winning their case because they just didn't have the energy to fight. I'm convinced that you cannot get your disability case through if you're disabled without help. I had so much help. My mom was working on it 30 hours a week with me and I was not able to get through the paperwork. You're like talking about all the people who are getting disability for free. Anyone who is dealing with this, trust me, there's an easier way to get that little amount of money a month. Like you could literally do almost anything else for less time, less stress to get that small amount every month. Yeah. And eventually got to the point where I had to get a lawyer. It wasn't living along anymore. And you can only file an appeal so many times before you just, like you said, you need help. It's just too much. If you want but, any advice on that, my best advice is to go in person. We would have been denied, mm-hmm. except I went in person and I realized halfway through the woman hadn't even looked at my file. I was like, okay, you don't know what I have. You don't know what's going on. She's like, oh, well, I kind of skimmed it. I'm like, okay, then let me just walk you through my day. And I just told her step by step through my day and it was approved within like a few weeks. But if I had done what they wanted me to do, which is do it online and I didn't catch that she hadn't read my file, there's no way I would have gotten through. It seems like without the help of a, a lawyer, it's really difficult to get it done, too. Like I, I did wind up going into the office at a certain point of the disability process before I got my lawyer. It is a lot more personal when you do go into the office, and it seems like it helps quite a bit. But I'm, it took a lawyer for me to win my case. And when I did win my disability case, the judge had determined that this is really important for people who don't have a disability to understand. She determined that even though there are some things that I can do, the unpredictability of my condition is just so ridiculous that no employer would put up with that. Yeah. So even though I do have enough energy some days, and I'll show you my calendar now, there are red stickers on here that represent like a totally bad flare up where I couldn't do anything at all. I was stuck in bed or on the couch. The orange ones represent a day where I'm kind of like halfway there. You know, symptoms are pretty bad, but I can still get some stuff done. The blank ones are what I would call my normal day. I hesitate to say just normal in general because my normal is going to be totally different from somebody else's normal. And then the green ones are when I'm having a pretty good day. I've got energy to get stuff done. And then, of course, I've got some that are kind of mixed match where something I might start out having a terrible day and then I just feel better out of nowhere or the other way around. (laughs) The reason that I keep a calendar where I mark all these down all the time is because sometimes when you get into like a long week of symptoms that are so bad, it can feel like it's been going on forever. It's nice to be able to look back and say, see, last week I had a pretty good day. You know, it's this, this will pass like it has before. And it feels a lot less exhausting in the moment. That Um, is brilliant. I started tracking it because I found out the week before my period was insane as far as like dislocations and heart stuff. I mean, it's like a week of like, I should be in the hospital. And so keeping track of the stuff, especially if you're an owner of ovaries, can be very Mm -hmm. helpful to know how your cycle affects. Yeah. Apple, (laughs) which has been fantastic for that. Thank you, Apple. I wish Apple would get together with more understanding of disability and chronic illness and start creating some better trackers for for people with chronic illness to keep track of their symptoms. I'm a tech fiend. I think a lot of us with chronic illness are really into technology. It just says like, wow, this could actually make me more autonomous. Like the idea of autonomous driving is my most cherished hope is I will be able to have a car that will drive. Especially with my eyesight issues. I'm so reliant on other people with, I mean, I do have my tricycle. I've got an amazing electric tricycle that gets me around town. I can't go very far on it, but an electric car that drives itself would be amazing. I could actually leave the town once in a while and go by myself. 
Yes. I have a son who just moved back home. So it's been really lovely to have him here to help drive me to appointments and things. But I also miss going through the redwoods. I mean, even in post-COVID, we're all like, we, we as family will still go for like a drive through the redwoods and just like look at pretty things and go back home. It's so nice to be able to do that. And if you have like autonomous driving, you don't have to wait for someone else to be in the mood. And you have your robot army. Tell me about how you have Alexa all programmed. So here's my Echo that is next to my computer at all times. I've got one in the kitchen and then I've got one in the bathroom. And I've got it set up to where every day for a medication times, which is once in the morning at 8 a.m., right in the morning when I am woken up, the first thing it says is, you know, good morning, take your medications, time to get up, here's the news. And then right after that, see, at, at noon is the next one. When I take my next dose of medications, I'll just pop up a reminder saying, hey, it's time to take your meds. And then at 1 p.m. reminding me to have lunch if I haven't had lunch yet because it's easy to forget sometimes. And then at 4 p.m., I get another reminder telling me, hey, it's time to take your meds again. I don't have a reminder set for my bedtime routine because I've fallen into that habit so easily now that I just, I don't forget to take my shot anymore. So I don't need a reminder for that one. But I definitely have all of those medication reminders to get me through the day because if I miss a dose of my medications, my hormone levels are off and it's not good. I, yeah, hormones are, if, if you haven't had these experiences out there, it's not just like, grumpy or not grumpy like this is so responsible for our adrenaline our how our gut processes food our hormones are almost more important than most of what we gave credit to the brain for yeah it's a pretty integral part of our brain itself yeah. so if that's not functioning properly i mean but endocrinologist pretty, pretty well when you said your full-time job is being your pituitary gland the thing that really stinks is and i try not to come across as a complainer but this is just the cold hard truth here the synthetic medications that I have to take to replace those hormones are not anywhere close to the real thing. I mean, they're obviously close to the real thing, but it's you experience symptoms regardless, even when you're taking these medications, because they don't exactly replace what a normal person's body would be making. If you look at the blood work, the levels might you know look within range, but it's not nearly the same as like a normal person's body secreting those hormones at the time that they would need to secrete them. Especially with something as complicated as adrenaline with the cortisol, you have ups and downs throughout the day. You're not always going to need cortisol at 4 p.m. every day. You may need it before or after that or certain points throughout the day when maybe something a little bit more stressful has happened. Fingers crossed that a cortisol pump will be approved by the FDA for treatments. It's still just experimental. It's hard to get a doctor to prescribe it and insurance doesn't want to cover it still. But essentially, the cortisol pump would help, just like a diabetic's glucose Insulin pump. pump. You're good. Don't worry. But yeah, it kind of works in the same sort of way to kind of keep cortisol throughout the day in the body. Because, you know, taking the pill, the oral pill three times a day at certain, like, basically four-hour intervals is not the same. Well, you were just saying something about, I don't want to complain, which I just want to facepalm until I go unconscious when I hear things like that. So I'm going to bring you to... The people pleasing, because I have this theory that a lot of us who have chronic illness and disability, we feel this need to earn our place. And it could lead often to us lighting ourselves on fire to warm other people up. And I certainly am getting over that now, but it took like 40 something years. And I wanted to hear more about what you have to say about eagerness to please in the workplace and what that does when you're disabled. Yeah. Before I get into that, you're totally right. I think that 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 instinct to kind of be apologetic 
comes from the fear of pushing people away when we're being so open and honest about our conditions because it makes people uncomfortable and they don't want to talk about stuff like that, you know. So I, I think that's what pushes us to to want to apologize. But cool. Let's talk about work. I used to work at Kroger, which is, it was a wonderful job. Back before I decided, hey, your health condition is serious enough that I think this qualifies as a disability. Before I come to that conclusion, I was trying to work. So I got a job at Kroger. And when I was applying for that job, I told the interviewer that I had a health condition that may eventually cause me to not be able to work anymore. And he was really understanding. And he said, you know, we'll give you a chance anyway. And my immediate response was, can I give you a hug? Wonderful guy. And then I worked for them about, for about eight months before I wound up having to quit. And I think about six months and I started feeling more symptoms and I was starting to have a lot more limitations about what I could do at work. I had worked my way up the ladder at that store very quickly because I do have a really good work ethic and I work very hard. I am a people pleaser. So I wanted to give that job my all. And I did. And I got to the point where they had hired on a new manager and she also saw what I was able to do and what I was willing to do and my gusto at work. And she wanted to give me a management position in one of the departments at the store. And when she first said that to me, I was, you know, really honored. I was flattered to think that somebody trusts me well enough to trust me with the whole part of the store. This is awesome. And I had told her without thinking, yeah, I can do that. And then I realized, wait a minute, if symptoms keep getting worse, like they've been doing, there are going to be some days where I'm not going to be able to come to work. I may have to leave early. I may have to skip a couple of days to recover. If I'm the only person in charge of this department, which I would be the only person running it, except for maybe a small employee stocking shelves every once in a while, it would really harm that department. And then in turn, the whole store, if I fell behind. So I was really concerned about that. And I thought, maybe I shouldn't take on this management position. So I went in on one of my days off and asked to speak with her about this. And I went up to the office and we sat down and I said, hey, did the other manager tell you about my health condition that I had warned him about when he hired me? And she said, no. I said, well, let me explain that to you. And so I laid my heart out, which... Anybody that has any sort of chronic condition at all knows how hard it is to be this vulnerable to somebody about what you go through. Admitting that you have something that holds you back like this just sucks. But I laid my heart out to her and I told her exactly what it was like to have this condition, how it affected me. And then I said, even though I would really love to take on this position and I'm honored that you considered me for this. I know that it would be detrimental to the store for me to be the manager here. So I'm going to take a step back and let somebody else take this role. And she looked me right in the eyes and said, you know what I think? And I said, no, what, what do you think? She goes, I think you just don't want to do it. And I don't know how I kept my cool in that moment, <laughs> but I, I did. I was, I felt the heat in your face and your ears and hands started to shake but I kept my cool and I looked at her and I said, you misjudged me. And I said, I understand that it's got to be frustrating for you as an employer to have an employee that isn't doing what you want them to do. Imagine what it's like having a body that doesn't do what you want it to do. And I said, I'm sorry, but I just, I cannot take this position. 
And she didn't seem like she really understood how much she had insulted me in that moment. I just wanted to grab her by her skinny, ableist shoulders and shake. I kept my cool. And she tried to ask me to take on the position again anyway. And I said, no, sorry, I can't take that on. That wouldn't be responsible. And then I left and I cried when I got home. I cried and I cried, but I continued to work there. She continued to discriminate blatantly against me. She knew that I wasn't supposed to be working in refrigeration units. I had a doctor tell me that I, I can't work in there because I one of my issues is asthma. And that had caused me to have an asthma attack, which had caused me to have an adrenal crisis at one point, which put me in the ER and overnight in the hospital. So after that, he said, no more refrigeration units. And I had told her that. I told all my bosses that. And so one night she scheduled me to work in grocery alone and in the dairy department by myself and also told me to take all of the, uh, the stock that had been ordered in for the produce department to the produce department. So I looked at her and I said, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to be in refrigeration units. I can't work the dairy department. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, you'll figure it out. And just me off. They were having a milk sale that night. So... It was going to be bad if I couldn't keep that stocked. Luckily, I had told a friend of mine that worked over in the meat department what was going on about the dairy department. She became visibly upset. And she said, just don't, don't worry about the dairy department. We'll take care of it. And I think after that, she must have said something to somebody because that manager had been pulling that crap on me, I, which I think was retaliation for not doing what she wanted me to do. She just left me alone after that. <laughs> Something was changed that night, but I continued to work there until my symptoms became so bad that I couldn't even stay standing at the front of the store. Got to the point where I had, I asked them to let me have a chair to sit in and I was getting dizzy just even sitting in the chair. So that was when I had to put in my two weeks notice and that I just didn't come back after that, which is unfortunate, but I, I tried and I'm proud of myself for trying. But I think my whole point of telling that story is that there is some discrimination that you can face in the workforce. And my biggest regret was not calling the union rep on after that whole situation. And I hope that somebody listening to that keeps that in mind. If you're in the same situation, do something about it. Don't roll over and just let them get away with it like I did. It's so hard that we're so trained to try to be likable. And your story illustrates yes. how likability is survival for people like us if you weren't likable if you didn't have all these other employees who liked you and cared for your well-being you would have been in a tremendously horrible situation especially if you had like a family to feed at home or that was how you were going to pay rent that month and like you you were unfortunate what you had to deal with but fortunate that you didn't have this tremendous pressure that you would have to like put your health at risk to get that paycheck. And that's something that's so dangerous here in the United States. And I always run into this wall when I'm talking to people who don't live here, how cruel our laws are. And people think, oh, we have the ADA. It's like, that doesn't have teeth. There's no teeth to the ADA. We can make complaints and we can try, but all they have to do is say they're trying. But that's all the yeah. company has to do. And so they're making reasonable accommodations. And that's whatever they feel is reasonable. It's, just, it's super frustrating. Like, we need universal income. We need actual medication that we can afford. We need to be able to go to the emergency room without going bankrupt. You know, we, we need these safety measures for everyone. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm on Medicaid now. Since I'm on disability, man, my growth hormone shot, the one that I was on before the one that I'm on right now, 
was $2,500 for a 28 day supply. That, that sounds about right. My father's treatment is $20,000 and it was every month to keep him oh, yeah. alive. My drugs were around $2,000 a month. And the sneaky little thing is, is I do have disability and I have Medicaid, but because I have my husband's insurance and his insurance will only cover us after we spend $6,000 and they'll only cover to 80%. Whatever my insurance says no to, Medicaid's like, nope, not touching it. So I have to pay the $6,000 deductible and I have to pay the 20% no matter what. A really cruel thing is there are people that can't get married because yep. of that situation. Yes, that's, that is very, very true. There are a lot of people who cannot get married. And part of the reason I, I love my husband, we're very in love, but I'm not a married person. Like getting married was not a thing that I'm super excited about, but I'm happy to be married to my husband. But part of the reason we got married was it was before the ACA. So the only way I could get health insurance because I had pre-existing conditions was to get married. Yeah. There was no other way I could get health insurance. I was a photographer for 10 years and I spent about probably the last three years hiding my disability, like mm-hmm. not using a cane in public, only in private, crying after people would leave my studio. And it was so stupid because the second I was open about it, everyone's like, no, we, you could you shoot for the wheelchair. We love your work. Go ahead and be in the wheelchair. No worries. And then the strong, able-bodied people would show up early for their shoot and unpack my studio for me. They'd just automatically show up and do that. As soon as I was done, they're like, no worries. And they would pack up my studio for me. It was amazing the level of support I was not expecting. It was like this level of grace. Luckily, I've got my partner, Justin, that helps me out with things. Sometimes I like to set up at the local farmer's market. And so he has to set up the canopy to keep the sun off of me. And I sit there and sell my stuff for a few hours and then he's takes it all down and and we go home. And I think the best compliment that I had ever gotten was from my sister's abusive ex-husband. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. we. It, it was a whole thing. But he was trying really hard to be mean. And so he got on Facebook and made a fake account and accused me of not being disabled because I set up at the farmer's market. First of all, I'm not the one setting up that tent. Second of all, you have no idea the backlash that I have to deal with from my own body afterwards for just sitting there for a few hours, interacting with people and selling things, um, staying in the same place, quote unquote, working for that long. There, There is retaliation from your own body when you've got a condition like mine that I don't share on social media. So people don't get to see that part. And uh, I decide what do people expect people with a disability to do with their lives? Like they just think that we sit at home all day and just literally want to do nothing all the time like even though it it physically harms me to go out and do some certain things I will do them anyway because we have to live a little the whole inspiration porn thing comes from either we are dying and not doing anything we're just devolving into our beds which yes fine that's what I'm doing today point made but all we have to do is like breathe and they're like oh my god you're so inspiring you're like breathing if I did something inspiring cheers thank you I appreciate that I'm inspiring but you don't get to call me inspiring because I sat up breathe ate or you're so strong I hate that you know who I think is strong is Malala that's a, a woman who she's now a young woman she made a choice there was an easy way out And then there was a really hard way that was dangerous. And she knew how dangerous it was. She was threatened for years. She still kept making that choice. That's inspiring. That's strong. If I was given a choice on this body or not, I would not be choosing this. 
We love topic, but I get cracked up when people talk about there's this whole theological philosophy that we get to choose the life that we have. It's a part of reincarnation. And I'm thinking, I'd like to have a talk with my past life self. It's <laughs> so bullshit, right? Oh my God. So my sister and I have this whole bit going because I read this one thing on discipline is self-love for your future self. And so now she always like calls me. She said, how's that bitch past self of yours? I'm like, she is such a lazy bitch. She got nothing done. She assumed future person was going to be able to handle everything. I don't know what is wrong with her, but I have words for her. It was supposed to be inspiring. Now it's, now it's a comedy bit. I have acquaintances and then I have my people. My people are hilarious, all of them. So we were talking about Unwell. Like the first episode, I thought was probably the best episode they could have started with, which was the essential oils. oils. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, you know, lavender smells nice, and it can make you feel better. There's, you know, certain herbs that you could take that can make you feel better. Should that become a six billion dollar business, and should it have that high of a failure rate? I can't remember his name, but that really popular YouTuber guy with his wife. He says. We only charge $75 a month for our classes. They said $75 is nothing. Even if you're on food stamps or SNAP, $75, you can find $75 a month. Just stop going to Starbucks for two weeks and that's $75. Like, do you not understand what it's like to be poor? We are not going to Starbucks. I think we just found the problem with the United States, which is there's certain people who have a leg up and there's like generational wealth built up. There's a safety net. And then they think they're self-made. I would never call myself self-made. I have a family who bought houses in the 60s and 70s because they were able to get mortgages. That meant that I was able to go to college without having to worry about whether I had a place to live. But there's these people like that who are like, oh, I'm self-made. I can do this. And they don't know what poverty actually looks like. They don't know what an essential is. They don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. They're just so out of touch. Just let them eat cake mentality. So that point in the episode, I paused and I just cracked up. I'm like, does this guy really think that people on food stamps are spending $75 at Starbucks every two weeks? That's not how any of this works. No. And then you had the lady who was like, I had cancer and I took these essential oils and now I don't have cancer anymore. Okay, lady, I don't know you personally, so I'm not going to say anything. What I will say is give me the number of your doctor who was so shocked at this revelation. And I would like to ask them why they didn't publish this information in a journal. I've been told this by people before. I've been told by people who want to pray over my body, which happens more times than I'd like to admit. I had a friend in another church and they had us pray over them and now they have no cancer. It's like, then give me the name of their doctor. Give me their phone number. I'd love to talk to that doctor and I want to know why they didn't publish. Well, Big Pharma, it's like, "Mm, Switzerland is not part of the FDA. I'm sure that there is... Someone in Switzerland who was a very brilliant doctor researcher who would love to publish that. I have a real issue with this because storytelling is what we believe is true. That's how humanity works. We're susceptible to story, which is why the entire time I watched that, I was almost like writing down people's names and information. I was like, maybe it could work. Like, what what is wrong with you? For real, the the placebo effect, even when you know that there's a possibility of the placebo effect being a factor, even when you know you've been given a placebo it can still have an effect on your body. We don't really understand it. We don't know why it really happens as effectively as it does, but it does. Of course, placebo can only go so far, but some people don't really understand that concept of the placebo effect. So they try these things and they believe that they're going to work. 
they see these reactions in their body, what they had anticipated would happen because somebody told them that this essential oil will make you less itchy. And they realize itchy anymore. That's the placebo effect, but they don't realize that. So they go around telling everybody else, look at this amazing thing that has helped me in this, in this way. You have to enter this multi-level marketing scheme to be a part of it, but it saved my life, but it was actually just placebo. I'm sure it was multiple things they were trying. Right. Yeah. I'll tie this back into tech. There's this new study that was being done on people who had, I forget which spinal column thing was out, but it was, there was no movement in the legs. There was no feeling below the waist, just nothing was working. So what they did is they strapped people into VR goggles with those, you know, like Superman legs, but they look like they belong in superhero movies and they strapped them into those legs and the legs would move the person's legs in the VR goggles for six hours a day would be watching like they were walking for six hours a day while these things move their legs. Now, after a few months, their toes start to twitch. We don't understand what the brain is actually capable of feeling from if it's full. If we can equal the brain. That's, that's awesome. I get alerts all the time for things because my disorder is random and takes entire sections of my body up for random periods of time so i'm always interested to see like what mobility stuff is coming in if there's new wheelchairs that could work i had a really nice wheelchair that my parents paid for it was like god it's like eight thousand dollars it was measured to my body but i had to wheel it so i got this thing called the will ci which was way cheaper than that but still expensive it's a dome and you put your hand on the dome and you can move it. It only goes 12 miles, but it, it's awesome. It can go over like a three inch thing. So if you're on bad asphalt or sidewalks. Awesome. Yeah. Where the ADA is, you know, where they're trying with the ADA, but they haven't put in the ramp yet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Or they put in a ramp and it's like, I call it cripple X games because it's like, <laughs> you are not surviving this. A person I love dearly. She's one of the sweetest people in the world posted on Facebook and she's like, Look at this inspiring architect that made this thing that was like ramps and stairs. So it's basically like stairs, but into the stairs is this ramp cut out. And I'm like, I know you're being sweet, but I would die. Please stop promoting this. I would die. There's literally a company on Pinterest. They were a mobility company that sold wheelchairs and wheelchairs, accessories and walkers. And I swear to you, every description was bringing light and hope into the dark lives of the disabled. Oh, no, come on. <laughs> I can't with this. Like, where do you go with this? How are you that ableist and still working with disabled people? Like, it's depressing. Okay, so we, we will have to close that out on something happy. Your podcast. It's not my project, but the National Organization for Rare Disorders created their own podcast called NordPod. The Rare Action Network is another one of Nord's projects, so it doesn't really overlap with the podcast, but I wanted to bring up that the NordPod podcast because I know a lot of people with rare diseases also listen to your podcast. So I think that it would be a really great way to tell them about it so they can check it out too. Um, yeah, we definitely need to have another episode if we can talk a little bit more. Absolutely. This was so much fun. Thanks. I really enjoyed chatting with you. It's <laughs> a lot of fun for me too. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit invisiblenotbroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
You can also support the show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our host, Monica, and our guest, Sunny, for a great conversation. This episode was edited by me, Alice Van. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.